only the, this country, but around the world, as we heard reports of what, what's happening in other countries, and also talking about uh, just ideas that churches can share with one another, and it was just a great time of renewal. But we have a, an amazing mission, right? To tell people about Jesus Christ and how he's changed our lives. And Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. As you know, the Lord's Supper is one of the two what's called sacraments or, or, or important parts of what it means to be a church. One is baptism, the other is the Lord's Supper. If you're a church, you need to do both. And we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper today and understand its meaning a little better. And with that in mind, let's talk to our Heavenly Father as we open our hearts to Him. Lord, we love you. Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Help us never to forget it. Help us never to minimize it. But God, I pray that our hearts would be open to what you want to do in our lives because of what you did on the cross for us to free us from our sin. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. It's all yours, Lord. It's all yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The bottom line of our message today is this. Communion is an important time for any true church to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and reflect how we can change to be more like him when we come and celebrate communion. And usually we do it the first Sunday of every month. We also do it on Good Friday and sometimes we change that up if there's a special service going on. But we do it on a regular basis and every time we do it, our prayer is that you would come prepared to remember what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. And as you remember that, to evaluate your own life and to see if there's any sin in your life that needs to be dealt with and to turn your life more fully over to God. With that in mind, let's turn to Luke chapter 22. This is one of the gospel accounts that gives us the story of the Lord's Supper. Luke chapter 22. We're going to start at verse 14. If you don't have your Bibles, there should be one nearby. Luke chapter 22, verse 14, says this, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. So what meal was he eating with the disciples on that night? The Passover meal, right? Before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until uh, it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And when he took the bread, he had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold... The hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them could be the one who is going to do this. This is one of the accounts of the Lord's Supper that he instituted. He told us to do this to remember him. A time of seeking God and coming before him. And as we talked about our church last week, as we came to the end of our fiscal year, we talked about the fact that every time you come, you're to come with expectant hearts. Do you enter into this place expecting to meet with God? Expecting to come into his presence, to lift him up in worship. You're not concerned about the people around you. 
You're here to worship God with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. That's the beauty of the church. And as you know, when we come to the table, we all come in an unworthy manner in the sense that we are sinners, but we are saved by God's amazing grace, which makes us worthy by the holiness given to us by God the Father. The Bible says we've been given the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of Jesus. He has made us holy. As we come and do what Jesus told us to do, which, by the way, is always a good idea. Amen, church? To do what Jesus told us to do. We're to seek him. When I was uh, at the conference, we were staying at a hotel with a pool, and in the middle of the pool, there was a large statue. It It was probably 12, 13 feet wide. And uh, my 12-year-old son and I were playing a game. We would stand each at the end of the other end of the statue in the water of the pool, and one person would have to tag the other. So you couldn't see where the other person was, but you'd run around the statue to try to tag the other person. And I had tagged my son, and now it was his turn to find me and tag me. But he didn't realize this. When he was on the other side of the statue, I went under the water and swam away from the statue and hid over by the stairs. And I watched my son, and I had such a good laugh. As he kept going around the statue, he couldn't find me. He kept seeking me around the statue, but I wasn't there, amen? I was gone. And that's how a lot of people are when they seek a false god. They're seeking someone who's not there. We seek the living God. He is here with us. And as we come to the table every Week, we need to remember the importance of what we're doing. Here's the first thing I think we should understand. Passover, Jesus talked about the fact that he came to celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples, is a beautiful foreshadowing of God's perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. Beautiful foreshadowing. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 12. Turn all the way back. Genesis, Exodus. As you know, the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years under slavery. God sent nine plagues to set the people free, but the Pharaoh would not allow the people to leave. He wouldn't allow them to go. But then the 10th plague came, and that was the worst of all. We read about it in verse 1 of chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. And and we know what happened, right? If the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost, then no one in that household died. But if the blood of the lamb was not on the doorpost, then the firstborn in that family would die. See, God was showing his awesome power over the most powerful nation on the earth. He sent ten plagues. Let's remind you of what they were. The first one was blood, and then there was a plague of frogs and lice and flies and pestilence 
and boils and hail and locusts and darkness. And the last one, the most devastating of all, the death of the firstborn. And after that night, the Israelites were set free by the Pharaoh and they left in haste. They left in haste. Exodus tells us what the conditions were. They were to pick a lamb on the 10th day of the month. They were to pick the lamb and have the lamb live with them. It became like a family pet. And then on the 14th day of the month, this lamb without blemish would be sacrificed. You know what happens. Uh, We've talked about this in the past. When you bring a pet into your home, the kids began to fall in love with that pet. They give the pet a name. They're playing with that little lamb. See, they begin to identify with it. And when that lamb was sacrificed, the family felt more the pain of that sacrifice because this innocent lamb would be a covering for the sin of the people of Israel. But on this night, on Passover, they would take the blood of the lamb and place it on the two doorposts and on the lintel above the door. Beautiful symbol, I think, or foreshadowing of the cross. As they put that blood on the doorposts and the lintel of their homes, that blood of the Lamb saved them. Even today, Jews who do not believe the Messiah, and many Messianic Jews obviously, still celebrate the Passover meal. How many of you have ever done a Passover Seder meal, done a demonstration of that? You've probably seen a plate like this. So many things on the plate that symbolize what happened on the Passover. The hard-boiled egg, you see it up there on the left-hand side, is a representation of God's loving kindness and his provision. The bitter herbs that are on the plate are a representation of the bitterness of their slavery in Egypt. The shank bone is a reminder of the mighty arm of God that saved them from Egyptian slavery. The parsley symbolized the freshness of spring, which was the time in which the exodus occurred. And they would dip that parsley into the salt or bitter herbs. Lettuce, same thing. They were dipped to make it bitter, to remind themselves of the bitterness of their slavery. The haraseth was a, a, a fruit and nut paste that the Israelis would make. It's, it, it was to remind them of the mortar that the Jews used uh, to build the bricks that they would make, their forced labor. All of these things on the table had a symbol to remind them of what God did for them in Passover. It was a commemorative meal every year, a meal of remembrance. But here's the powerful thing for us as believers. The Passover meal, as we've uh, talked about before, is a foreshadowing of the greater Passover lamb to come. That Jesus Christ would be the fulfillment of the Passover. That he would be the perfect lamb that would save you and me. That his blood would be the one that would keep us from eternal payment for sin. Jesus was that perfect Passover lamb. And then you probably know that they had unleavened bread as part of the Passover meal. If you've seen a Passover Seder demonstration, you know that what the father of the household would do, he would take out three sheets of matzo bread. He'd take the second sheet and break it. He would take that broken sheet and hide it in a cloth and put it away where no one knew where it was. It was hidden for a while. But then at the end of the meal, that broken piece of bread 
was taken out as the highlight of the meal, a foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah for the Jews. Isn't it interesting? Three pieces of bread, the second one, the middle one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The middle one was removed and broken. It was hidden for a while, and then at the end of the meal, brought out again. See, all of the elements of the Passover point to this amazing Messiah that you've come to worship each and every day. That if you seek him, you will find him. That it is a powerful reminder for us of the fact that God's plan was in place. And the Passover meal was simply, and most powerfully, a foreshadowing of the Messiah that we worship every Sunday and every day of our lives. See, the second thing we ought to remember is this. Communion is a celebration of a powerful fulfillment of the meaning of Passover. It's a powerful fulfillment of it. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill it, exactly. This is one aspect of that fulfillment. When Jesus came as the Lamb of God, he was that perfect Passover Lamb. The blood of the Lamb would save us from our sins. I put this in your notes. Celebrating communion remembers the person and sacrifice of Jesus as a payment for our sins and offers all those who believe in him forgiveness and an eternal relationship with God. But here's the key. The celebration itself does not make anyone a Christian. If that were the case, then we would be saved by our works. The thief on the cross, he never took communion, right? It's not an element that you have to have to be saved. There are martyrs throughout time who may have never had an opportunity to take communion. It's not something that makes someone a Christian. I remember meeting with a woman uh, here at the church on the patio, and just she said, oh, I love the church, but I, I want to have communion every Sunday. And I said, oh, that's, that's a good desire, but what do you think communion does for you? And her answer to me was, well, it forgives my sins. And I said, no, that's not what it does. It's a time of remembrance. It's important. It was commanded. But it does not forgive sins. It does not make anyone a Christian. See, it's a reminder of the price that was paid for our sins and that God's plan was put in place. As I read to you in the Passover meal, on the 10th day of the month, the lamb would be selected. When Jesus came to Jerusalem on that first triumphal Sunday, when he entered in Jerusalem riding that donkey, that was the week of Passover. That day would have been for the Jews the lamb selection day for the Passover meal. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, we read about it in the instructions given in Exodus 12. Take a lamb on the 10th, sacrifice it on the 14th. Jesus rode into Jerusalem the day that every Jew would have been selecting the lamb that would live with them until it was sacrificed on Passover. A powerful demonstration that this is God's perfect lamb. This is the lamb that God selected as he rides into Jerusalem. Monday through Wednesday, we know that at some point during that week, he cleanses the temple. He then has on Thursday the Last Supper. We know on Friday he was crucified because the Jews wanted to crucify him before the Passover began, which would have been on Friday. And then on Saturday, his body rests in the Sabbath 
during the Sabbath in the tomb. On Sunday, he's risen again from the dead. See, that Sunday was Lamb's Selection Day. The meal that he had with his disciples was the Passover meal. And you must know how amazing it must have been for the disciples to see Jesus stand up and take the piece of bread The bread, the unleavened bread that was to symbolize the haste by which the Israelites had to leave Egypt. Because Pharaoh said after the 10th plague, plague, take the people of Israel and leave and leave quickly. And the unleavened bread became a symbol of how they left uh, Egypt quickly after that 10th plague. See, when Jesus stood up and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The 12 Jewish disciples must have said, Lord, wait wait a minute, you don't understand. This is all about the Passover. Are you saying that you're the fulfillment of that unleavened bread? Absolutely. He is that perfect fulfillment of it. And when he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For 1,500 years, the Jews had been celebrating the Passover meal as a reminder of freedom from slavery in Egypt. But now Jesus took the Passover meal and gave it its fullest meaning. The fuller meaning was this. It was a reminder of our freedom from our sin the payment that we are required to make for our sin. But a holy God made a way by sending his only son, that perfect lamb of God. And the Passover meal fulfills that. On Friday, the Passover lambs were sacrificed at three o'clock, the same time Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. Jesus died, the Bible says, at 3 p.m., the same time the priests would have begun sacrificing the Passover lambs for the Jewish Passover. On Saturday, the Sabbath was celebrated. On Sunday was the Feast of First Fruits when Jesus rose again from the dead. That was the first day of the Feast of First Fruits in the Jewish calendar. Jesus being the first fruit of many more that were to come that would rise again from the dead. That's your story. That's my story. That's how beautiful the salvation story is. God wants to remind us this is all part of his plan and you're in it. You're in it, my friends. So when you come to communion and you take the bread and the cup, it's your story as well. How you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And all of these things coming together, you know, uh, the painting that Leonardo da Vinci did of the Last Supper isn't really accurate. You've probably seen it, right? Looks like they're at a wedding feast and they're at the head table, right? But that's probably not the way it was as they sat around the table and reclined, the Bible says, at table, probably looked more like this. And Jesus being that perfect, unleavened bread without sin, you know, leaven in the Bible represents sin. And Jesus being that second piece that was taken out and broken for us. In the Passover meal, there are four fillings of the wine cup. The first filling represents sanctification. The wine cup is filled again during the meal. That represents judgment. The third cup is the one that's taken after the meal is over. That probably would be the one that Jesus said, this is my blood. Because it says that after they ate, he took the cup. That is known as the cup of redemption. The third cup. 
most likely the one that Jesus took and said, this is my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And when we think about that new covenant, it's a powerful thing, my friends. Up until this point, we were under the old covenant, the covenant of the law. The law was given to highlight our sin, to highlight our need for a Savior. The new covenant is a covenant of amazing grace that by faith in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. By faith in Jesus Christ, we're adopted into the family of God forever and ever. And if you are truly a person who comes to faith in Christ, God will complete the work that he has started in you. And he will one day take you to a place that he has prepared for you. See, Jesus was the first fruit of that. I was talking to somebody just this past week saying, we are guaranteed eternal life by the guarantee of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That's how Jesus demonstrates to us that he has power over death because he rose from the dead. And the Passover meal would have a fourth cup. The fourth filling was known as the cup of praise to give thanks to God and praise God for the freedom that he provided for the Jews. But it's a reminder to us of the praise that we ought to be giving to our God and Father who saved us from our sin. You might say, well, Mel, I've heard different views about the elements. What are they? And I think we should address it. There are three major views about what the elements are. And the first view is called transubstantiation. That's held by the Catholic Church. Transubstantiation talks about the bread and the cup in this way. They say that the bread and the wine represented at communion, and so Catholics call this the Eucharist, becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus after a priest consecrates it. Now, we don't believe that. We believe that when Jesus stood before the disciples that night, his body was there. He said, he didn't say this will become the body, my body, this will become my blood. He said, this is my body, this is my blood. But it was still bread and wine in front of them. Jesus was standing there in his body, and as they ate it, they ate the bread and the cup. Jesus also said things like, I am the door. We don't believe that he's swinging on hinges. Amen? We don't believe he was speaking symbolically. He said, I am the bread of life. We don't believe that he was a loaf of bread. He was speaking symbolically. He had a way of doing that to drive home a point to us. When the Reformation happened, Martin Luther put together the view that's called consubstantiation. Con meaning with. He said this, the bread and the wine do not change into the actual body and blood of Jesus, but rather Christ's body and blood are present. And then he said in this way, in, with, and under the elements. He used the illustration of a hot iron in a fire. And as that iron would become red and glowing, the heat was in, around, with that iron, but not part of the iron. I can appreciate what Luther is saying. Because as we come every time we celebrate communion, we're to come realizing there's a special presence of the Lord here. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, I'm in the midst. I'm right here. And when we gather together and take communion, we know, need to know there's a presence of the Lord here. That's why we're to come and eat and drink in a worthy manner. It's so important. But most 
Protestants hold the symbolic view, which says this, the bread and the wine presented in communion are symbolic of the body and blood of Jesus. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's essential. Yes, the presence of the Lord is here. But these are symbols of the body and blood of Christ. They don't actually become the body and blood of Christ. They're to help us to remember and commemorate what Jesus did for us. It's a very Christ-centered thing. The Bible doesn't prescribe how often we're to do it. What it does say is this, as often as you do it, whatever your regular schedule is to do it, do it in remembrance of me. It's a very Christ-centered meal. It's a very communal meal. When you come together, there's something special about knowing that there are brothers and sisters in the room with you, eating of the elements together, partaking together. And as we celebrate communion, we should be aware of the following. We want to leave enough time to celebrate communion at the end. Here's the first thing. We should remember the connection to Passover as a confirmation that the death of Christ was part of God's detailed redemptive plan. My friends, every time we come together and celebrate communion, it should be a reminder that this plan was laid out by God from the very beginning. When he said to Adam and Eve, the seed of the woman will one day crush the head of the serpent. It was the first announcement of God's plan. And all throughout the Old Testament is a thread, a reminder of the plan of God being worked out. The Messiah is coming. He's coming. He's coming. He will be God's answer to the sin problem that you and I have. He will be the guarantee that one day you will be raised from the dead, just like Jesus was raised from the dead. This was all part of God's plan for you and for me. Do you celebrate that? When you come, just to remember that you are now part of this amazing, redemptive plan of God by your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing we need to do. We should remember the suffering that Christ endured to secure our freedom. When you think about the suffering of Christ, when we come to the table, we're to be reminded of the beating that Jesus took by the Jewish and Roman leaders. The Roman flogging he experienced that literally ripped the blood, uh, skin off the back of Jesus. Where it says that the soldiers beat Jesus in the face and placed a crown of thorns on his head. Those crown of thorns would press into his skull and blood running down his face. He carried his cross piece outside the city, couldn't make it all the way. Someone else had to pick it up and carry it for him because he was so weak. He was then laid down on this rough piece of wood, his back torn apart by a Roman flogging, nails driven into his hands and his feet. And he would hang on that cross for six gruesome, horrific hours for you and for me. The awesome love of Jesus. All power at his disposal. Yet he stayed there on the cross for you and for me. Here's the third thing. We should remember the amazing person of Christ and his awesome humility and sacrifice as a model for our lives. We're to remember the person of Jesus. And as we hold the bread and the cup to think about this amazing God who humbled himself and gave himself for us, it's awesome that he would sacrifice his life for us. The fourth thing 
as we come and partake, we should remember the importance of reflecting on the condition of our hearts and lives and change to be more like Christ. Remember the passage I read in 1 Corinthians 11, that if you eat in an unworthy manner, you bring judgment upon yourself. I'm reminded of the words in Romans where it says, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? We're to turn from sin in light of the awesome payment that Jesus made to free us from our sin. The substitutionary atonement of Christ that he gave his life for us so that we could be free from our old habits and patterns and sinful actions. Here's the last thing. We should remember that communion highlights the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, my friends, the church is not perfect. We are all imperfect people. But God is at work in our lives. And when we come together, we need to know that we are part of the body of Christ, brothers and sisters together. And my prayer would be that everyone who comes through the doors of Riverview Church would sense the love of Jesus Christ in this place, the presence of Christ being here, two or three gathered together in his name. And that there is a unity that only the body of Christ can experience because we are bound together by this amazing God who laid down his life for us. There's a video, I've shown it before, as we prepare our hearts for communion. I want to show it to you now. Great song, but uh, reminds us of who Jesus is. So let's watch this video. Every time I see it, I love it. I thought I'd show it again as a way to prepare our hearts to remember Jesus Christ. Let's watch it, and then we'll share communion together. Stand in wonder once again Your grace still amazes me Your love is still a mystery Each day
Amen. We're amazed today, aren't we, church? And our awesome Lord and Savior. Let's bow our hearts in prayer as the ushers come forward with the bread. Lord, as we culminate this service with the celebration of your supper, communion, we're reminded of what you did for us, Lord. We're reminded that this is a time for us as a church to celebrate the freedom we have in you, but it came at an awesome price. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. We pray, God, that as we sing these last couple of songs, share the bread and the cup, that in our hearts you would be lifted up. You would be glorified, God, because you deserve all of our praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen Bring many sons to glory So behold the man upon the cross My sin upon his shoulders A Until it was a calm 
of Jesus Christ. By his stripes we are healed. The Bible says on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and after giving thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Lord we're amazed at your plan that you would come as a little baby boy in Bethlehem, be the perfect lamb without blemish, the perfect Passover lamb. And Lord, now as we distribute the cup, we're reminded of your blood that was shed for us, Lord. You're awesome. You paid the price. You subbed in for us. You took our place. Your death brought us life. And Lord, our faith is firmly grounded in you today and for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. All to Jesus I surrender all To Him I freely give I will His presence daily
When there was no way, God made a way. He gave his only son for you and for me. And if God did not spare his own son, how will he not, along with his own son, freely give us all things? What we have in store for us is awesome. The Bible says, in like manner, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Lord, we're amazed by who you are, what you've done for us on the cross. We've come together today, Lord, to worship you. God, I pray that our hearts will be ready to receive what you want to teach us about yourself and how to live more like you. Help us to humble ourselves, Lord. And that every time we come together as a body of yours, Lord, that we would worship you and lift you up because you deserve us, deserve it. Lord, we pray that we would put aside all distractions and give you all the glory. Jesus, we love you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's all stand together and sing this last chorus. Then we'll be dismissed. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. Oh. up front who love to pray with you and home group leaders up front who love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Please greet one another, love one another, and live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.